I want, I want you to go with me to Mark chapter 8 today. Mark chapter 8. And I want to look at verses 14 through 21. Mark chapter 8. We'll start at verse number 14. My wife sends her love. She's watching right now. She's at home with our three little humans. Mark chapter 8, when you're ready to read it, say yeah. yeah. If you need some time to find it, say hold on. And it says, the disciples had forgotten to bring bread, except for one loaf they had with them in the boat. Be careful, Jesus warned them. Watch out for the yeast of the Pharisees and that of Herod. They discussed this with one another and said, is it because we have no bread? Aware of their discussion, Jesus asked them, why are you talking about having no bread? How many you know when Jesus asks a question, the answer is never for him. <laughs> he knows everything. <laughs> He's trying to get you to understand something. He goes, do you still not see or understand? Are your hearts hardened? Do you have eyes but fail to see and ears but fail to hear? And don't you remember when I broke the five loaves for the 5,000 how many basketfuls of pieces did you pick up 12 they replied and when I broke the seven loaves for the 4,000 how many basketfuls of pieces did you pick up they answered seven he said to them do you still not understand I want to preach today not long probably about four and a half hours <laughs> just just using this as a title don't forget to remember. Don't forget to remember. If you're in the room, would you just say, don't forget, don't forget to remember. If you're watching online, just type it in the chat. Don't forget to remember. Come on, let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Lord, I thank you that whether we're in the room or at a campus or watching online, there's not a single person that is watching this by accident. You ordain this moment. So our hearts are receptive. We are ready to receive. Speak to us today. In Jesus' name, everybody said? Amen. Amen. Don't forget to remember. Ladies and gentlemen, brothers and sisters, I regret to inform you that the year 2020 is only halfway <laughs> over. <laughs> Hey, is it just me? Is it just me? Or does it feel like this year has been going on for half a century? Oh, come on. I don't think it's exaggeration. I don't think it's hyperbole to say that in just six months, this has been a year that has literally changed the world. Oh, don't get me wrong. Every year has its challenges. Every year has its changes. Every year has its problems. But not every year has such a sudden paradigm shift where all of a sudden you're left with more questions than you have answers, uh, more complexity than you have clarity. And, and all of us are having to tap into the lost art of adaptability. Adaptability. This has been a year. 2020, the irony, the irony. 2020, the year that everybody associates with a vision. And all of a sudden we're seeing things we have never seen before in our lives. And so earlier, if you're like me, I was having an intense conversation with God, intense conversation, prayer, also known as complaining. And I said, God, I, I, I didn't plan for this. And God said something to me so clearly in my spirit. He said, Robert, don't forget to remember, you prayed for this year. 
I said, hold up, wait a minute. No, I did not pray for any of this this year. He said, oh, yes, don't forget to remember you prayed for this year. He said, it's July, but you're the one that said in January that you wanted to go deeper in the things of God this year. You're the one that said in January you wanted me to change you this year. You're the one that said in January, God, whatever it takes for me to have more of you, I want more. I was indignant. I said, God, I said no such thing. You know it's bad when God takes you back to the first sermon that you preached in 2020. I want to show you that clip real quick. Can you put that clip up of my first sermon that I preached? See, this is what God wants from you in 2020. He wants to know you desperate enough in 2020 to have change in your life, that you'll seek him out, that you'll chase after him, that you'll say, God, I don't care what it takes for me to get more of you this year. I'm going to knock till the door is open. Come on, somebody. For me to get more. I want more. I didn't know what's going to be this. Oh, and isn't it interesting the chasm, the space between what we want God to do in our lives and what it will take for that to come to pass, what he will use for that to come to pass. Isn't it interesting? We say, God, change me. We want change, but we don't want to be challenged. Uh, we say, God, take me deeper, but God, don't disrupt me. But can I tell you today, you have a God that will disrupt you. You have a God that will disturb you. See, some of us think that being a disciple is synonymous with being comfortable but I came to tell you God will disrupt you he will use whatever it takes he didn't cause this pandemic but he will use this pandemic to form you to shape you to make you be who he's calling and created you to be oh he'll use whatever it takes to get you into the place that he's called you to be God knows how to disrupt you that's what he did on earth Jesus was always disrupting people you know that. It was like every day he woke up with his disciples. He's like, what are we going to do today? Oh, same thing we do every day. I'm going to comfort the disturbed and disturb the comfortable. He was always disturbing and disrupting. And that's exactly what he's doing in my text today. I love this passage. Jesus is on a boat with the disciples and they have one loaf of bread. He's just fed 4,000 people and they've got one loaf of bread and Jesus, out of nowhere on the boat, says, watch out. They're like, what, another storm coming? No, no, no. Watch out. Be careful for the yeast of the Pharisees and that of Herod. And the disciples are looking at each other on the boat. It's like, hold on, Jesus. Um, nobody's on the boat but us. What you talking about the yeast of the Pharisees and of Herod. What are you talking about, Jesus? I love this because this is classic Jesus. See, people all the time are like, oh, I wonder what it would have been like to like hang out with the physical Jesus. It would have been awesome. No, you would have been frustrated. <laughs> you would have been annoyed, just like the disciples were. Because Jesus, whenever he would talk, it would be confusing because he was fully God and he was fully man. 
fully God and fully man. And when you're having a conversation with somebody who is fully God and fully man, how many know it's going to be a crazy conversation? Because there's sometimes the God part of him is talking and sometimes the human part of him is talking and you don't know which one you are talking to? Oh, come on. You remember the first time it happened, the first miracle with his mama at that wedding and his mama comes up to him and says, Jesus, they have run out of wine. Jesus looks at his mama after she said they've run out of wine. He looks at his mama and says, woman, it's not my time. <laughs> just left her there like, I don't need that. Look, just do whatever he tells you to do. Why in the world is he talking about time when she said they ran out of wine? Because he is fully God and he is fully man. And yes, he knew they ran out of wine, but the God in him understood that that wine always represents his blood that was going to be shed for all of humanity and that he is the groom and he's got a bride that's you and I. And in order for him to unite with his bride, not the wine, but his blood must be shed on the cross and there's got to be enough blood he's got to be enough so you're talking about wine but I understand it's not my time to go to the cross where my blood is going to be shed is this too much for a Sunday the wine was a picture of the blood so back to the boat they talking about one loaf of bread and Jesus like no you don't got one loaf of bread it's another loaf of bread and you're looking at him you got a loaf of bread but please understand I am bread And bread said, be careful of the yeast of the Pharisees and that of Herod. What is yeast? Yeast is a fungi that if you put in the dough of the bread, just a little bit of it has the ability to contaminate the totality of the bread. Just a little bit of yeast. In the Bible, yeast is a metaphor for unbelief. It's a metaphor for sin. It's a metaphor for pride. Just a little bit of that mixed in the bread can contaminate all of it. It's a metaphor for pride especially because when you put a little bit of yeast in that bread, it will start to puff up and rise. It causes it to rise. That's why it's a metaphor for pride. He says, be careful of mixing that in the bread. The bre- Not that bread. The bread. Don't just, just a little bit can contaminate. Be careful of the yeast. Watch this. Of the Pharisees, the religious system, and Herod. The political system because when you start mixing religion and politics in the bread it will contaminate the bread oh come on somebody I love how the Bible is for today he said don't mix it in the bread because just a little bit will contaminate it and they were still confused they're like hold up see I knew we should have brought more bread see we only got one loaf and we don't got enough now you made Jesus mad why didn't you bring more bread he's like no I'm not talking about that bread I'm talking about this Oh my goodness, okay, y'all are so messed up. Okay, since you think I'm talking about that bread and not this bread, let's go back to that bread, okay? You don't think you have enough bread with just one loaf and it's 12 of y'all? Okay, when we had 5,000 people and we just had five loaves, how many leftovers did you have? Oh, 12. Okay, when we fed 4,000 and we only had seven pieces of bread, how many leftovers did you have? Oh, seven. Okay, it's 12 of y'all and you got one piece. I think you're going to be all right because you got bread on the boat not just bread and when you got this bread you always have every single thing that you need he was talking about the power of his provision 
and what he was able to do. And right about here is where I want to file a complaint. I want to file a complaint, uh, not with the CDC. I want to file a complaint. I want to file a complaint uh, with the SSC, the Sunday School Committee, because uh, I grew up in church. I grew up in church, okay, born and raised on the pew, and I raised in church. And, and nobody ever told me that this miracle where Jesus took the fish and the loaves and multiplied it, I don't remember anybody telling me that he did that miracle twice. He did that miracle twice. One time he fed the 5,000, and then a few months later, he fed 4,000. That miracle happened twice. Nobody ever told me that as a little kid in Sunday school. Do you know how many times I could have got extra goldfish and graham crackers and just said, hey, he did the miracle twice. He did that miracle twice. This is imperative for us to understand because there's even a debate between scholars and theologians who think that Mark messed up and that the miracle only happened once and he mentioned it twice. But how many know Mark chapter 8 totally debunks that because Jesus brings up the fact that he did this miracle twice. One time he fed the 5,000 and then a few months later he turned around and fed the 4,000. And I want to stop and thank God. Not that he fed the 5,000. I want to stop and thank God that he did it again and fed the 4,000 because that lets me know that the same God that did a miracle once the same God that opened up a door once, the same God that came through for you once, he can do it again. That is the power of the God that you serve, that if he did it once, he can do it again. Oh, come on, somebody. I feel faith in the room today. Oh, don't you let this pandemic make you think that your God cannot come through. Some of you need to do a flashback and review the history of all the things that God has brought you from. And if he healed you once, he can heal you again. If he gave you a job once, he can give you a job again. If he opened up a door once, he can can do it again. Oh, do not let the difficulty of your situation make you doubt God's power to do it again. The miracle of the multitudes is important because understand this is one of the only miracles, don't miss this, that is mentioned in all four Gospels. All four Gospels. This is the only miracle mentioned besides the resurrection. I think that's important to understand because the fact that he fed the 5,000 and he fed the 4,000, and it's mentioned in all of the Gospels, along with the resurrection, is proof positive that God is not just concerned with the condition of my soul. He is also concerned with my circumstance. He cares about my need. He doesn't just care about what affects my soul and my spirit, but God is concerned about your needs. And somebody needs to know that today, that God cares not just about your soul. He cares about your circumstance. He cares about what's keeping you up at night. He cares about your provision, your needs. Can I say it like this? If it matters to you, it matters to God. Actually, scratch that. If it matters to you, it matters more to God because he's not just concerned with your soul. He is concerned with your needs. Look at your God who had the power, Jesus had the power to captivate thousands of people. They followed him, thousands of people, and had the power not only to captivate them, but to keep on preaching to the point they forgot to eat. Forgot to eat in the 5,000, they didn't eat all day just listening to his message. In the feeding of the 4,000, they didn't eat for three days just listening to Jesus preach. 
Oh, that's the litmus test for good preaching right there. You think you're a good preacher? You ain't preached until somebody go three days and say, forget about food. I just want to hear the word that you have three days preaching and had their attention. And even in the midst of the preaching, he realized, wait a minute, they're hungry. I got to feed them. That means God is concerned about your need. That is a message, not just of God's greatness, but his goodness. That's a message, not just to us, but it's also a mandate for the church that we can't just be concerned with the souls of people, but we've got to be concerned with people's needs as well, too. Come on, that is a mandate on the church. And thank God you're a part of Church 1132 that doesn't just preach the gospel, but has a dream center is going to give out groceries, too, because it's both and. You cannot negate one. It is together. I love what Howard Thurman said. He says, the power of prayer is directly connected to your willingness to be a part of God's answer. It's both. And some of us are praying about stuff that we need to get up off our knees and put action to it because he is concerned with the soul and with the needs of people. And all of that was my introduction. I just... uh, Here's what I really came to talk to you about today, because I want us to look at these two miracles if we can. I want us to put the feeding of the 5,000 and the 4,000 right next to each other. And I want us to look at the similarities and the differences. I want to do like those little pictures, if you've ever seen it in a magazine or newspaper where it's the same picture, and you got to figure out and circle the differences in the picture. I'm t- I'll spend hours on those things just looking at it. That's what I want to do today between these two miracles of feeding the multitude. Here's, here's what I noticed in both miracles. In both miracles, you had a lot of people, and in both miracles, you had a problem. In both miracles, you got a whole lot of people, and in both miracles, you had a problem. Don't forget to remember, number one, you are called to problems because you are called to people. You cannot separate the two. You got a bunch of people, so you have a problem. Quit trying to run away from people because people have problems. Every single person you meet has a problem. You cannot separate the two. And as a follower of Jesus, you are called to people. That means you are called to problems. And some of you are like, I'm tired of the drama. I don't want anybody. I'm just going to stay by myself. You still got a problem because you still got you and if the shelter in place order didn't show us anything some of you got sick of yourself when you were stuck in the house but we are called to people and we're called to problems God's called you to be an answer to the problem the Bible says 5,000 and 4,000 but that's just counting the men that's not the women and children this is a lot of people in the feeding of the 5,000 they had to put it's probably maybe 15 20,000 people they had to put them in groups first before they fed them can you see that 15,000 people you had to put in groups of 50 or 100 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13 okay right there 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13 you're messing up my count hold on 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 12 is, is that your child? No. Well, then why are you over here? go over there 1, 2, 3 can you imagine? how long did it take? problems, problems you're called to problems because you're called to people Another thing I noticed in both of the miracles, don't miss this, is that compassion was the catalyst for the miracle. Don't forget to remember that compassion activates the miraculous. Compassion. In the feeding of the 5,000, the Bible says that Jesus moved with compassion, looked at the crowd because he saw them as sheep without a shepherd. 
In the feeding of the 4,000, he verbally says, I have compassion on these people. It's one of the only times in the Bible that Jesus verbally said, I have compassion. So in one moment, he's moved by compassion. In another moment, he verbally declares, I have compassion. Because compassion is action. Compassion will make you do something. You cannot say that you care and you don't do anything. Because compassion is when care and action collide. In both miracles, compassion was the catalyst. Because compassion activates the miraculous. Oh, can I take you deeper in this? I, I love this because in the feeding of the 4,000, he said, I have compassion on these people because they've been with me for three days with no food. And then he says, and some of them have come from a long way. They've come from a long way. Look at the compassion of Jesus that in a multiplicity of thousands of people, he knew with specificity how far some of them had come from. He knew where their address was. He knew where they had come from, meaning you cannot have compassion until you are concerned with where people have come from. Until you know their story, you will never have compassion until you're concerned with where people have come from. Come on, am I the only one ever been in a scenario where somebody is going off on you or they got an attitude or said something crazy to you and they talking to you like they, they forgot you ain't always been saved and you know some words that aren't in the King James Version of the Bible. Have you ever had one of those moments and, and you want to respond a certain way and you can just feel your heart starting to palpitate and you about to go off on them and don't you just wish in that moment that a pause button could be pushed and all of a sudden you could get a review of where that person had come from, how they were raised, the family they grew up in, even just what happened to them that day. And how many all of a sudden your response would be completely different? Why? Because you got clarity on where they had come from. When you're concerned with people, where people have come from, it ought to ignite compassion on the inside of you because compassion activates the miraculous. Would you just look at your neighbor, don't touch him, but just look at your neighbor and say, he's preaching real good. Come on, look at your other neighbor and say, he's preaching real good. I, I noticed, and I'm almost done, I noticed in both miracles, they asked the wrong question. They asked the wrong question. Don't forget to remember to always ask the right question. They asked the wrong question. In the feeding of the 5,000, they said, where can we get enough bread to feed all these people? That would take a month's wages. Where can we get enough money to buy food for all these people? Wrong question. In the feeding of the 4,000, they said, well, where can we even find bread for these people? We're in this desolate place. Wrong question. Don't forget to remember to ask the right question. Because here's the problem with asking the wrong question. Hear me. Worry is often the byproduct of asking the wrong question. Anytime you're worried, stressed out, it's often the byproduct of asking the wrong question. Give us some scripture for that, Robert. I'll give you scripture for it. <laughs> Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6, verse 31. He says, so do not worry, saying, here comes the questions, do not worry, saying, here comes the questions, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you. He says, don't worry asking these questions. Worry is the byproduct of asking the wrong questions. I wonder how many of you right now are worried because you've been asking the wrong questions. 
completely wrong question. What are we going to do about the house? What are we going to do about the car? What if I lose my job? What if we lose the house? What about my 4K? What if there's another shutdown? What if I have to homeschool the kids? What if they do it online? What if there's another mask mandate? What if there's this? What if there's that? Oh, you just sneezed. What if I got it? Well, I just wrong questions. Worry is the byproduct of asking the wrong question. But here's what I love. In both miracles, Jesus asked the right question. Here's Jesus' question. How many loaves do you have? How many loaves do you have? Oh, how many loaves do you have? How many loaves do you have? I'm going to keep saying that. How many loaves do you have? Somebody online. How many loaves do you have? That is the right question. What should you be asking yourself in this pandemic and an economy that's shaking? How many loaves do you have? See, that question doesn't lead to worry. That question leads to work. It makes you start looking to see what has God given me after all that's been stripped away? What do I still have left? How many many lows do you have somebody needs to ask yourself in spite of everything that the enemy has taken away from you what do you still have left oh how many lows do you have you got something see the enemy wants you to focus on what has been lost but God is always going to make you focus on what you have left how many loaves do you have when you start looking at how many loaves you have left it produces a heart of gratitude to say God thank you that I still got something come on you lost your job you didn't lose your mind you still here you still standing that means God's not through with you yet oh how many loaves did you have left? Oh, when you start asking that question, it starts making you look for relationships that you would have dismissed. Oh, yeah, remember the feeding of the 5,000? They started looking and found a little boy and just hijacked his little Long John Silver's lunch and say, let me see that. Let me see what you got. Because when you ask the question, how many loaves do I have left? You will start having conversations with other people. You'll start looking and taking inventory over what has God given me? Oh, how many loaves? See, y'all don't like that because it's easier to just look online and like pictures of everybody else's loaves. And God, I didn't get that. I don't have that. Don't worry about what they have. How many loaves do you have? Woo! Y'all recording this? I'm going to watch it later. It's blessing me. How many loaves? Where's my loaves? Can you bring my bread real quick? Yeah. Yeah. How many loaves do you have left? You know where I got this from? My house brought this and babe if you watch I'm bringing it back I'm bringing it back <laughs> y'all laughing but this, this is my lows this came out of my house this is what I have it's not gluten free but it's mine might not be the type of brand you like but it's my it's what I have I had to take inventory of what I have and some of y'all laughing at my illustration you're like Robert you just got bread you just got loaves you don't have fish we didn't have any fish in the house. And not only that, don't miss this, Jesus never asked for fish. In both of the miracles, he never asked for fish. He just said, how many loaves do you have? He never asked for fish. It was in the process of looking for the loaves that they found out, I don't just have loaves, I got fish.
fish too. It was in the process of looking for the loaves that they found out I got something extra. I'm telling you when you start looking at what you do have you're always going to find that there's something else you didn't even realize that you had. Come on who am I preaching to? You got strength now that you didn't know you had. Some of you got a prayer life right now that you didn't know you had because when you look for the loaves you'll find some fish ask the right question how many loaves do you have left what has God given you in this season another thing I noticed is that in both miracles although they looked for the loaves and found it and found the fish they had to be feeling some type of way when they came to Jesus Tell me, you know, even though they found it, it still wasn't enough. Come on, am I the only one that's ever looked at what you have and looked at the mandate of the crowd in front of you and gone, it's not enough? Am I the only one that's ever looked at your life and gone, I, I don't have enough? I don't have enough to be the father he's called me to be. You don't have enough to be this or that. And can I tell you, you will never be enough. It will never be enough as long as it's in your hands. If you're looking at it through your hands and your ability, you will never be who God has called you to be. You will never be enough if it's in your hands because if it's in your hands, you can control it. And if this year hadn't taught you anything, <laughs> it's that you are not in control. It's never going to be enough in your hands. The greatest miracle is when you take what is not enough and you say, God, I'm going to just put it in your hands. I don't have what it takes to be who you've called me to be. I don't have what it takes to parent these kids. I don't have what it takes. But if I put it in your hands, that's where the miracle will take place. And he took it, and he blessed it, he broke it, gave it right back to him. Makes you want to shout. But imagine you being there. You got maybe 15,000 people out there. You already know what you have is not enough. You go to Jesus. You go, here you go. Do what you do. <laughs> All he does is go, thank you for our Father. And hands it right back to you. Well, I hope, hope, do you want to pray for this again? There's a lot of people out there. Oh, come on, don't get it twisted. How many of you know the multiplication did not happen in the hands of Jesus? Oh, it could not have. Come on, that doesn't take faith. If they put it in his hands, all of a sudden it started multiplying. It was enough. They'd be like, oh, let's go. No. He just blessed it, broke it, gave it right back to him and said, go feed him. <laughs> Can you see them walking, going, this is not enough. Yes, it is. It's been blessed now. Walking was not enough. And watch this. Now they've got to pass it out to thousands of people. Come on, Jesus, this miracle makes no sense. We got 15,000 plus people, only 12 dudes passing it out to this many people. This is not efficient, Jesus. Come on, you are the king of the universe. You could have just blinked your eyes and made it multiply. You could have created an in and out fish and bread station and let everybody come through. How long is this miracle going to take for 12 dudes to pass it out to thousands of people? going to take a long time. He's like, I know. Because don't forget to remember, remember that multiplication happens through interaction. Because as they had to pass it out, 
they had to interact with each one of the people. Here you go. Here you go. Take a little bit. Don't take too much. We ain't got that much. Come on. Take a little bit. Take, hey, is that your son? He's cute. There you go. Take a little bit. Take it. Take it. And, they, and as they passed, right when they got down to the bare minimum and they handed it out again, all of a sudden, there was enough to do it again. Anybody ever been there before when you thought you were down to your last piece and all of a sudden God just came through and all of a sudden it was enough? It was enough. So much so they had leftovers afterwards. Here's my only issue with the disciples. Jesus did this miracle twice. I give you a pass on the feeding of the 5,000. You can be nervous. You can be sweating. Oh, it's not going to be enough. But when you face the 4,000, since you had a history with Jesus, why are you stressing the second time the miracle happened? Come on, this he already did it before. As soon as you saw another crowd there, you should be like, oh, I already know what's about to go down. You said they're hungry. Come on, somebody get the loaves. Let's do it. Let's do it. Let's do it. How have you forgotten? Then I remembered how quick we forgot, forget what God's brought us from. But I think it's actually deeper than that. Way deeper. Don't forget to remember that in the feeding of the 5,000, the real issue was not the crowd. It was the price. It's like, where can we get enough money to feed this crowd of people? See, they would take months' wages, but in the feeding of the 4,000, a little bit different. It's not the price. You ever notice what they said? They said, well, where can we find enough bread for these people in this place? Which made me go, what was that place? The feeding of the 5,000 was in Bethsaida near the Sea of Galilee in Jewish territory. The feeding of the 4,000 happened to be in the region of the Gadarenes near the region of the Decapolis in Gentile territory. <laughs> the Gentiles were the people that they had no dealings with, that they thought they were better than, that they never associated with. So in the feeding of the 4,000, it wasn't about the bread. It was about these people in this place because <laughs> they didn't want to be there in the first place. The feeding of the 4,000 was a field trip that Jesus took his disciples on to get them to understand I am the bread of life. And if you're going to be my witnesses to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth, I need you to see people that you don't normally see. I need you to understand that the bread of life is not just for the people you like or the people you want to hang out. This bread of life is for the entire world. And if you're going to pass out the bread, you have to see people that you don't normally see. You got to feel the hurt of people you don't normally feel. So this is a field trip to show you that the bread of life is for everybody. All of us need help seeing people that we don't normally see. Isn't it funny how you can talk about addicts until your brother or sister becomes one? Because we need help to see people we don't normally see. He took them on a field trip to say the bread of life is for them too. And I love it because what he did with the bread is what he was doing with the disciples because Jesus will always take you, bless you, break you so he can 
multiply your life for somebody else. He'll take you, bless you, and then break you. He'll break the way you think. He'll break ideologies that you've had. And he's breaking you not to hurt you. He's breaking you so he can use you more. Oh, can I testify? This has been a breaking season for me. God has had to break so much of me in this season. And it's in this season, this pandemic, I'm going to be honest with you that I felt like giving up. I felt like throwing in the towel. Up until this pandemic, I didn't have a point of reference for people with depression and people with panic attacks and anxiety. But all of that hit me in this season. It was a breaking season. And I had a moment where I said, God, I don't even feel like preaching anymore. Look at what's going on in the world. Look at all the chaos. But on Father's Day this year, I took a drive down to Mount Pleasant, Texas where I was born, that great metropolis and I went down to Mount Pleasant, Texas, little town in East Texas, and I went to the church that my grandfather built. I had never been there before, but I remember my mom telling me the stories of how my grandfather planted that church. They got a picture of it. This little bitty church, he never had more than 50 people in that church and I reminded myself of the miracles that he used to see in that church. I reminded myself how my grandmama at three years old would lay her hands on me and say God's going to use you to preach the gospel. I had to remember that the prayers that my grandfather prayed are being answered through me. You don't know my grandfather's name but every time you hear me preach you're hearing my grandfather, you're hearing my grandmother. They're not on Instagram Instagram. They didn't pastor more than 50 people, but they were faithful with what God gave them. I had to remember that the prayers that they prayed did not expire, and God is using me because of things they prayed. Don't forget to remember. Know why the enemy's attacking you so much right now? Because it's not just about you, it's about people that are coming after you. This is about your legacy, your children's children's children. That's why you can't give up in the breaking process. Because after he breaks you, he wants to give you away so that people can experience the bread of life. 